Welcome. This is the Healthcare Insights of Northwest North Carolina podcast coming at you from Northwest Area Health Education Center. I am Andrew Brewer, your host, and today I have the pleasure of introducing my guest, Reverend Maria Teresa Jones. Maria is the manager for the Chaplains for Staff Ministry in the Department Department of Faith Health Chaplaincy and Education at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center in Winston-Salem. Uh, Maria is an ordained UCC minister who serves in the local Methodist church, as well as a full-time board-certified chaplain. Reverend Jones is a native of Puerto Rico, a veteran, and a former professional dancer. And today she's in her office fulfilling her administrative duties. Um, so let's begin there. What What is the administrative duties and the day-to-day -day things of a chaplain? So... Um First of all, Andrew, thank you for um, inviting me to uh, to be with you this morning. Um, very simple uh, as a chaplain for staff support and a chaplain in the staff. Um, my job and our role as administrative chaplain support is to provide support and care to our chaplain residents that are here covering uh, a lot of our clinical units. Of course, that looks a little bit different now because of the pandemic and we have to make sure that everybody's safe, safety first. And so we serve as a um, mentor, as a resource uh, when difficult situations happen in the, in the life of healthcare in a level one trauma academic medical center. We are the go-to individuals for our residents as well as staff and um, medical healthcare providers across the system, we are the first point of contact so that then we can engage a holistic approach of response to the needs as they arise. That's great. Now, just to clarify, a chaplaincy resident is going to be a chaplain or a doctor or both? So in many cases, both. Uh, our residency program let me just say, I am so proud of our, our program, our clinical pastoral education, our education center. Of course, it is an approved education center by the Department of Education. It is uh, adult education. And this is a center designed to prepare persons that may answer the call to chaplaincy. But not everybody does chaplaincy work. We have many beautiful persons in, in professional life that have taken this training because the truth of the matter is, is that the skill set gained from clinical pastoral education are life skills. And so we have physicians that have come through the program. We have clinical psychologists. We have community clergy. It is an absolutely beautiful, diverse uh, and inclusive environment for all professions that have achieved a master level of education and that want to continue to pursue spiritual care um, and how to accompany persons in, in, in distress. And so the other side of that is that we have the second oldest clinical pastoral education center in the center, of which I am a graduate and I am very proud of that. So, so a short answer to your question, we have physicians, we have social workers, we have clergy, mostly clergy, mostly persons that have completed a master's of divinity and want to pursue ministry in either congregational life or specialized settings. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, thank you for that. And and can you just describe in fairly uh, general, but some semi detail of what is a day or a week in the life of a chaplaincy resident look like? Oh my goodness. So we have a very um, structured education component. So I, I will also say, Andrew, it's not very different than in a medical residence. Not much difference in that. So this, this beautiful balance of a very rigorous quality education plus practice. And we, our model of education is action reflection. So you bring to the table the experience lift in your clinical settings to the theological spiritual care uh, training and education component. And our residents, basically, they are the primary healthcare spiritual care providers. And so each of our residents average an, uh, an assignment of about 100 beds uh, and do beautiful holistic approach of caring, not just to patients and family, but to the persons, as I call them, uh, in the trenches providing the care, loving and caring and tending to, um, to our patients. And so they are that beautiful presence in the clinical units. And then all of that beautiful experience, some very beautiful, some very hard, uh, comes into the classroom setting so that we can begin to apply the reflection component and the theological component and spiritual component to, to the lived human experience. And um, it's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I love that. I love the process. It's exquisite. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that. And you can see the excitement on your face when you talk about it. And um, I think it helps people understand that in an academic level one trauma center, academic medical center, um, you know, we think clinical, we think, um, you know, we think about the uh, specifics of delivering health care for treating injuries, treating illness and stuff like that. But we we don't really think about the faith part of that, the holistic part of of integrating faith and 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 that into the healing. And it's such an important part of the healing process, I believe. And, and that's just a beautiful thing. And you can tell, again, the smile on your face just 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 speaks volumes for that. So as far as, um, you know, lifelong learning and development, I want to go back to some of your history. And one of the things I found uh, really interesting is you served in the Army for five years, I think it was. So can you tell us a little bit about that experience and how that shaped you into doing what and, and, and anything that carries over lessons learned that, 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 that serve you today in your role? Oh, my goodness, Andrew, that's a that's a very um that's a very good question and it's multi-layered answers to that. Um, so um, I joined, I, I served six years. I gave my, my term from right off the bat. And, um, and, I, and I share with my team often, one of the beautiful, and I have been out of active duty. I went in 1975 through 1981. So it's been a little while back and I have been out of active duty uh, for some decades, but one of the most beautiful um, gifts that I continue to draw from is this concept, this leadership concept where you just don't leave anyone behind. 
right? And that uh, when we talk about this form of leadership that you lead by example, that's lived. That's the way of being. Uh, you don't leave anybody, anybody behind. You lead by example, and you don't ask anyone to do any more that you're not willing to do yourself. And so that translates to the work and my call and my vocation as a spiritual care provider, pastor, chaplain, spiritual direction is that you are fully present and engaged and that relationships are crucial to trust so that we can walk together on the journey, this amazing, hard and beautiful journey we call life. Uh, whether it's a crisis of whether it's a celebration, but that together, because we're able to be in what I go to in the trenches together, right? Uh, we can share our common humanity. And that with all of those soft, beautiful skills, there is structure. And this, this um, something that Andrew, I have to be honest with you, has been resonating with me and bubbling up for me uh, for the past 48 hours is this balance of compassion and accountability, right? And so that we do this work and this comes from also a lot of my military experience is how are we compassionate and ethical and accountability? Because we, are, we have to be accountable for the works and for the actions that we are engaging in. And so, but doing it with an open heart and an open mind where the compassion and the empathy can free while you're still taking care of what you need to take care of. And so that I do believe that it's, I really, really believe this at the core of my soul, that those were leadership skills gained from my military active duty that I take to my work today. That's great. I mean, I love that the compassion and accountability, because I think a lot of times people think just the compassion part lets you off the hook from certain things. And it's almost like rights only come with responsibility too. you know, it kind of kind of dovetails into that. Um, so uh, that was well put. And I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I'm going to go even back further into your uh, childhood. Uh, we're, so we're going backwards. And so you grew up in Puerto Rico and your name is Maria Teresa. So I'm, I'm assuming there's some there's some Catholic um, background in there. So so tell me what what lessons or what experiences from your childhood do you draw upon or do you reflect on um, in, in your work today? You are so good. <laughs> yes. Mi nombre es Maria Teresa. <laughs> I was born and raised in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Um, raised Catholic. I have some beautiful uh, memories of my traditions, uh, my Catholic traditions and my roots. And I often go to that. I, there isn't anything that I do from a spiritual care perspective or a pastoral care perspective or a spiritual direction perspective that does not touch on mo my beautiful rituals from, from my days in, in the Catholic church, which I love dearly um, because of hip, health issues of my parents and life changes and transitions, you know, I, I no longer practice Catholicism, you know, going to mass and, but I still do my rituals. I still do my prayers and my rosaries and all of that, that never leaves. Um, 
one of the things that I think it's important to me that speaks to my soul and the ways in which I uh, navigate this, this vocation of um, spirituality, it's um, I grew up at a time of when um, post-Vatican II, when liberation theology in Latin America was birthing. It was, it was, it was just brewing and being birthed out of injustice and horrific poverty. And so Oscar Romero, John Sobrino, many, many Catholic priests that took part of that movement post-Vatican II to liberate the oppression of persons suffering in Latin America because of injustices and horrific poverty. And so that is the essence that infused um, my my tradition, the ways in which I was shaped, being shaped theologically, it was very much grounded on Latin American liberation theology. And my father, devout Catholic, lived that. And so, so I have beautiful memories of my father, you know, living into what it was to be on the side of the oppressed and the poor. And as, as kids, my brother and I will accompany my father with his best friend, a Catholic priest that was one of our teachers, uh, to the communities to be with people, to, to um, provide care and presence and love, um, particularly marginalized oppressed communities. And so that, that feels me. That was the, those were the seeds planted in me at a very young age in my Catholic tradition of growing up that, that have continued to, um, to flourish even now and, and, and then very theologically sound in my faith tradition, I claim the Christian tradition. And so the teachings, right, the teachings and the example of this man from Nazareth, this beautiful Afro-Asiatic Palestinian Jew that was an undocumented poor person. And so all of that is grounded on the seeds that were birth that was given to me from a very young age. And that comes with me everywhere. That is part of my story. And it is very much my, um, Andrew, it is very much the formation of my, of my faith and my tradition um, as, I, as I do this, this work of loving and caring for, for the least, the last, and the lost. <laughs> well, wonderful. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I can almost feel the melodic nature of that when you talk about the liberation and I see your movements, which is going to probably guess where I'm going with this next question about, <laughs> about dancing. Uh, so, so you are a dancer. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your dancing past and how that, how that's, um, how you've kept that as a part of your rituals. You know, you mentioned rituals and then how that brings out the, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 you know, just the excitement of what you do in a day-to-day -day basis. Ah, my goodness. So again, another beautiful and multi-layered um, answers to your question. So I grew up in a family. So let me just say, you know, <laughs> that I am all into my body. I want to bring, a, before I go there, let me bring, let me go back to 
to the name of our division, which I think is exquisite. And this is something you mentioned earlier about, you know, we don't, perhaps we don't pay attention to, to the body as much, right? Our name, Faith Health, if you notice, there is not a space between faith and health. It's all one word. Because we really, at the core of who we are, we believe that we cannot separate our faith from our health. So that's your spirit and that's your somatic component in your body, right? Mind and body. Mind, body, and spirit together. So keep that on the back of your head. And we go back to the dancing thing. So I was groomed to be a classical ballet dancer. From age three, I started training. I had, I was exposed to other types of dance like flamenco and, you know, it's part of our tradition of, of our heritage from Spain, flamenco, jazz, modern, but classic, there was something beautiful about classical ballet. And my parents were just obsessed. La nena, la nena, that she's got to do ballet. And so... For many years, you know, from age three until through high school, I was being groomed. I danced with the old San Juan Ballet Company and other companies, but I was that was going to be my career path. And early 60s and 70s, the Dance Theater of Harlem in New York City was being established. And I was, I wanted to dance with DTH. I wanted to be with dancers that looked like me, right? And so I was prepared for auditioning and I attended two auditions to be accepted into the school. This was in 72, 73, something like that. And I did not get admissions into the school for DTH. I was devastated, Andrew. I was mm -hmm. crushed. I'm like, okay, so what am I going to do? All I know to do is dance. And so that's when I did not make my last audition in 1975. That's when I decided I was going to join the army. And so I went into the army because I didn't know what else to do. And dance was, I was crushed. And um, so here I am. But even better than that, even, even better than the classical training of a beautiful stylized movement, it's my African roots my African heritage, the drum, the percussions. And as you know, salsa is, salsa is the essence of our Puerto Rican dance that was actually birthed in New York City, but the roots out of Cuba, right? It's the roots of salsa, our Cuban roots, born in the 70s in New York City. And there is something about the movement of salsa and salsa is, spicy tomatoes and, <laughs> and flavor and and color and taste and all of the goodness right and so ballet salsa it's how i get into my body that's how i connect to movement that's what grounds me and it's spirit moves when i dance and it is a prayer for me it's a ritual of prayer of of giving thanks for the ability to move and to listen to the rhythms and to be fully into my body. 
That's yeah. a long story for <laughs> one question. Well, there's a lot there, and and I love that. I mean, especially the mind, body, and spirit. I think you know. Again, I think when people think about the medical center, they think strictly the body. You know, what's wrong with the body? What needs fixing? What needs healing? And oftentimes we leave out the mind and the spirit. And I think that those. I think there is a um, a, a, a lot of people. Uh, there's a groundswell of of. Uh, people becoming mindful and becoming spiritual because they realize that it's just not the body alone, but it's the, the the way our mind connects to the body, the way our mind connects to the spirit, and we are just flesh and blood and filled with the spirit if we allow it. And it's always there. It's just recognizing that. And I think movement, um, I do it through through yoga and sports and also running and I've recently got into dance. Um, um, so, so yeah, it was way out of my comfort zone for me, but every Monday night, six 30, I'm doing body jam at the, at the William G white. Oh, that's YMC. lovely. You yeah. have to make me happy. That's beautiful. <laughs> so, I, so I really enjoy that and just, you know, building up, building up the choreography and, beautiful. and I, and I have lived in the uh, Caribbean. So I do know that, you know, how warm, climate seem to excite the 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 desire and the color and you said the the smell and the feel and the sights and the sound and, and it yes. just envelops you so i yes. you know i i could sense that when you were talking about it yes. and, and feel that so it, it's great and uh, you know and and you know, it's a great life story, too, for people to understand, like, you knew dance, and that's what you were training to become, and when, when you didn't, when your path got um, off a little bit from that, you went into um, a, a place where you got that, um, I think, that grounding for compassion and accountability, you know, don't, you know, no one's left behind and to be accountable for everything and 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 so i love how your story just weaves in to all this to bring you where you are today and so let's get to back to today we've we spent a little time on your past and um now today here we are in a global pandemic and one of the things that we know is happening is uh, mental health has been suffering there's probably more compassion fatigue um, caregiver burnout, however we want to say that. So just talk about some of the changes you've seen, the challenges, lessons learned, and all that since last March. My goodness. Whew, that takes my breath away. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the first thing that I, that I needed to do was to give myself permission and I think I begin, I, I'm beginning to see this permeating across our culture, our pandemic lived culture, is how do we give ourselves permission to recognize the horror of a pandemic and the beauty? And that for me personally, the ways in which I can better serve my people is to understand those two tensions. And that in, in understanding those two tensions, we are able to give ourselves permission to honor our humanity. And what I am seeing, in addition to the sheer exhaustion and suffering, is this 
um, glimmer of embracing vulnerability, authenticity, um, being able to be real with our feelings and our emotions, our grief. And I'm also beginning to see more a, a reliance on spiritual care providers, chaplains, soul companions. That's what we do. We are soul companions. A reliance and almost a dependency because there is uh, reliability, there is presence, and there, is, there are relationships being built. And that it feels... Mm. Give me a minute. No, take your time. I appreciate you being vulnerable. That's the only way we can do this work. That's the only way we can. That's the only way to me, and this is my opinion. That's the only way that we can get to, to the core of our humanity. To, to, to be with, to be with and to stand in solidarity with our siblings that are suffering. But what I am also beginning to see little signs of is, is it's this beautiful woven, it's almost like a tapestry being, uh, being woven of, of, of love and compassion and intentionality and presence and all of these beautiful human emotions and feelings that we were conditioned to disconnect from so that we can go about the task at hand, right? Mm -hmm. And so recognizing the resources, acknowledging that there are resources and there there are many things available to us that we can tap into, that we can share. So that woven beautiful tapestry of community and trust that's birthing out of this horrific killer, COVID-19. And that is taking time. And my, my ultimate hope, Andrew, is that this is gonna change the culture to a way in which we can be judgment-free, shame-free, fully humans, show up and do the work of loving and caring and tending for lives. Not denying the power of science, not denying the power of medicine, but honoring the human spirit. And so that is what bubbles up for me when I see the beauty and the horror, and we walk in in the middle of these two tensions, holding them side by side. Because what I have seen, even with the exhaustion, even with the grief, even with um, the suffering, our beloved colleagues showing up every day, <laughs> showing up every day to do what they do so beautifully. Well, I love how you set that up, the horror of the reality of the pandemic and then the beauty that we're seeing arise out of it. And it's like, you know, the, the, the reality of life is that there's suffering and that there's struggle and we can choose 
um, you know, we like to think that there's a level of that we can choose not to uh, fall into the victimhood of suffering. Um, so what you described to me is continuing of recognizing the horror of the struggle and the suffering to being vulnerable and how it really affects us. Cause it has affected us all. And, you know, certainly some way more than others, but it has affected us all in a way that we didn't, we, a lot of us weren't ready for. And so we had to, we had to open up. We had to be vulnerable. I mean, I've been through some really hard lessons this past year, um, and, you know, and recognizing how fortunate I am to have the things, you know, the the basic needs met, yet still mentally and, and spiritually some real struggles. But when you become vulnerable and you share those and you ask for help and you, you know, you're open to receiving help and you build that resilience and then it does grow the love it grows the love inside of us so i love that continuum that you described and that's what it is it's it's just that from that you know the depths of the darkness we rise into the light and, and i i just love that and i love that you know that's the embodiment of faith health is building that trust of connection and relationship and resources for people to understand they're not alone in, in in their health journey and in their faith journey and stuff. So I'm um, I'm trying to get to the next question and I think that back to faith or or let's dive into faith and and uh, you know just some of the anecdotes maybe you share of how people that um have been resistant um to that component um and just you know because I can sense you know I, I see that some people are like you know life sucks and then you die and there's no God but then to understand, you know, and, and, and maybe, you know, something happens, some spark or some something clicks to where they feel, you know, the spirit come alive. And, and have you seen that? Can you share any anything about that that, that you've noticed? Um, so absolutely. So let me let me first say that our role as chaplains is to honor to respect the differences of traditions, no traditions, beliefs, no beliefs. Our role and primary responsibility is to accompany persons while we hold those sacred spaces for persons to make meaning of what is important to them. My, my ordination is a United Church of Christ pastor has absolutely nothing to do what Jane may need when she comes to me in spiritual distress. My job is to meet Jane where Jane is and hold space of love and compassion, no judgment, right? So that Jane can begin to build those resilient skills in honor and trust whatever Jane believes, right? while also holding and maintaining the integrity of my tradition, right? Talking about the tensions, right? All of that. So I say that to also say to your question is that when a person comes to us, not sure of what the divine looks and feels to them, 
and something happens usually in crisis, right? Something happens that opens them up to believe that there is something far greater. We tend to that with a lot of humility and a lot of care. Humility is huge, huge to the work that we do. Because again, it's not about me. It's about the person that is before me at their greatest suffering or even their greatest joy. And that in order for us to make that human connection, we have to be able to hear with our eyes, with our ears, and with our heart. This comes last. <laughs> the mouth comes last. But to be able to make and to create spaces where persons don't feel judged because they may not believe like you and I believe. Right? One of the beautiful things that we do at Faith Health, we have the most amazing partnership and collaborations with clergy persons from all traditions. So not only are we ecumenical because we are in relationship and we do this work with amazing siblings from all denominations within the Christian tradition, but oh my goodness, Andrew, the work that goes forth with our beloved imams and rabbis and Hindu priests and Buddhist priests and it's just exquisite. And that's a gift that we have because our patients come from all over the world, right? And we have to, it's so beautiful to be able to meet their spiritual needs in the ways that make sense to our patients, our families, and our staff. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I, I think that you touched on something that, that really spoke to, to me and hopefully our listeners will, you know, the meaning, um, you know, to pursue the meaning and to find the divine and the divine, like, like the world, we have so many different languages spoken, but love it still means the same thing. And the divine doesn't have to look the same or sound the same to everyone, but we know the feeling and we know that that's within us all. And I just love the work that, that you're doing, like you said, to, to, to see the sounds, to hear, hear the sights, you know, I've, you know, hear with your eyes and see with your ears and, and, and let, you know, let that humility come through the silence and let people find the divine within themselves. So it's, it's just a beautiful picture that you, that you've painted there. And then the fact that, um, you know, the, the medical center where you are day to day is, you know, the tip of the spear when it comes to, um, you know, seemingly people coming at in times of crisis and trauma and, you know, the place where they need to find meaning the most. And right there, you guys are. <laughs> so bless you. <laughs> Thank you. So one of the, mo one of the most beautiful experiences I've had have been the in the elevator. You know, in the elevator or in the cafeteria or in the cafeteria line or in the little, you know, table by the coffee shop or something. Most beautiful experiences. And I think I tell you something that I used to say, a mantra that I used to uh, tell myself when I was a student 
um, was to remain, and I still recall this because we, we have to reground ourselves, right? Um, to be permeable, flexible, and bendable. So every time we carry that pager and that pager goes off and we have to respond to the call and we don't know what the calling it's about. We don't know what we're going to encounter when we get to where we are being led, right? That was my mantra. Let, get, get out ego, get out of, <laughs> get out of my ego self, right? And be permeable so that I can receive and absorb what it is that I need to absorb so that I can be helpful to be bendable and flexible. That's the dance, right? Because if I'm rigid, which is totally against the concept of being a classical ballet dancer, <laughs> so that I can lean into what's happening, so that I can lean into the need, so that I can lean into that human connection. So there's no barrier, right? And you got to be able to be flexible. You got to be able to move. And as we say, move with the punches. You know, you may be in the hallway responding to a crisis. You may be in the clinical unit responding to the crisis. So you have to be able to do that. So that was always my mantra. Please, holy one, holy love, keep me flexible, bendable, permeable. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's also another way of saying being non-judgmental and exactly. and and being open-minded and just allowing people to reveal their truths. Mm -hmm. And and I think I'm I'm doing some health coach training, and I'm you know I, I realize how difficult that is for us um, when we're not trained that way. We want to immediately start correcting, immediately want to start talking and offering right. advice when that's, when, when that's, that goes counter, because usually people will shut that off. And I, I wanted to also mention, you know, you talked about the elevator or the, you know, the table in the cafeteria, and that's, to me, that was one of the things missing most about staying at working from home was these ad hoc just chance encounters that I had throughout my day because I'm a computer guy and I'm sitting in front of a screen um, and, you know, just walking down to the Starbucks or going to the Ardmore Cafe and, yes. and just the smiles you would see or the, you know, just the random conversations that would pop up. I and mean, it's kind of like that law of attraction thing. You know, you're giving off energy and, and uh, that, you know, like energy is attracting uh, to you. So I really miss that part of things. You know, I'm, I'm really grateful that we're able to connect remotely in these ways. But to me, there's still that piece of human touch, human connection that's missing when you feel and, you know, really have that energy and that people feel that and they want to open up to you. So, you know, I guess my question is, do you, you know, I can sense your energy through this screen here and I just I, I just love your smile and the way you're animated and and, and I. And I just bet that, um, you know, the people you see and talk to feel that, too. And and, and I, I just really grateful for your service to to our, you know, to our organization and, and to humanity and even for your uh, veteran service. So I'm going to we'll start wrapping up. Um, I just wanted to give you um, the opportunity to 
express what you're most grateful for, what you look forward to, what what keeps you up at night, and just just riff a riff on uh, some of those things, some challenges, some some great hopes, some some beauty that has come out of all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I am I am very I am so deeply grateful to work in a division. Um, to work in a division that it's truly committed. It's not just talk, <laughs> you know, a division that walks the talk about loving and caring um, for people. Um, you can, you can, you feel it. That it's, um, that it's such a gift for my vocation because that honors, affirms, respects, and appreciates my ability to be fully human in this world. We don't fake the funk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that it's an and in this last year that has been my sustenance. I do not hear me say. I do not romanticize in any way, shape, or form the work. This work. This is hard work. <laughs> the stories we tend to the 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 work. It's it's hard and to have a division in a team of colleagues that are that are all about the same things right is very healing it's very um refreshing it's inspiring it's built in trust that we can take care of one another also as we do this so that to me is the greatest gift being part of a division that lives that the other thing that I think it's it's powerful is that to do this work, it's um, it's a privilege. It is a privilege, and that um, to be able to do it, I get to do in my second half of life. I get to do what I love to do, <laughs> you know. And um, hard and beautiful. That's the other tension. Hard and beautiful, right? The other thing that this particular year has. Um, has taught me to do is to look into the eyes, right? So we have these things. Yeah, the mask. Right? right? We have this. This is our now our fabulous accessory, right? You know you are connecting with someone when you can look into their eyes and see through the windows of the soul what that person is going through. That it's allowing a level of human connection that we are not used to. Because we can go down the hall and if you see somebody that you don't want to look at, you just turn your head. But because you don't know who that person is, you have to see. Right. And so that's revealing that allows us and is teaching us to be more vulnerable and more authentic. 
because you cannot see whether I'm smiling or anything. You have to look into the eyes. Yeah, that's that's interesting because, I, I, you know, we can hide our emotions a lot with our facial expressions, um, even though they might not be authentic, but the eyes do tell the true story. So I, I love that, that even though we're masking ourselves, we're, we're able to um, pay more attention to, yeah. to each other through, through the windows to the soul. That's beautiful. Um, last question. Um, is there a quote or a scripture or anything that, that is your go-to that, that you rely on um, frequently? So the one that I go to and, and that um, there's two things. Um, one point that I want to make going back to the mass, Carl Jung talks about we, have, we, we wear our masks. So that metaphorically, we wear our mask, right? And now with COVID, we're forced to. But also COVID is, it's ironically, COVID is forcing us to take our mask off because we have to look through the eyes. Mm -hmm. right? So I just wanted to, to kind of just close that loop. Um, my go-to quote is Micah 6.8. That is from the Old Testament, the prophet Micah, that says, what does the Lord requires of me? Well, the Lord requires, and again, this is my tradition, right? But I find it to be the same for all traditions, is to love mercy, to do justice, and to walk humbly in my tradition with God, in others' tradition, Allah, Jehovah. The divine. The divine, right? And so that is a call to every single human being. Whether you are ordained or not, pastor or not, our call is to love and to care for one another. That's it. And that I remind myself on days where I don't want to feel, I don't feel like doing X, Y, Z. So wait a minute. That's the compassion and accountability. This is what we are all called to do. To love and to care for one another. Justly and mercifully. Well, I know that there's a lot of caregivers um, there at the medical center and within our organization that are very grateful to have you as a caregiver to caregivers. And so that makes you a meta caregiver. So we appreciate <laughs> we appreciate your work and I love your uh, energy and I really appreciate your your time and, and uh, today to share with me and to share with our listeners. Um, uh, about the great work that you do. So bless you and thank you. Blessings to you and thank you for the invitation. It was lovely to be with you this morning. Great. Thank you. Take care. Take good care. Bye-bye.